guys, did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? Any turkey trotters in the house? Anyone do, anyone's families do that? Kenna did, Jonathan did, Lewis's did? That's awesome. Who was like me and watching the parade on the couch? Yeah, that was, yeah, Shep, yeah, Maggie Boone, yeah, my kind of people. There we go, my kind of people, yep. Um, I always wonder what turkey trot people, I love you turkey trot people, but I'm always like, what? Why would you wake up early and go run? I don't know, it just, it just is mind-boggling to me, honestly. Um, but I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving, whether you turkey trotted or ate a lot of food and laid on the couch like me, um, whether you traveled or stayed in Dallas, whatever you did, I hope it was restful and fun and joyful. And I really am sorry you have to go back to school tomorrow. Sorry, sorry about it. Um, but back to reality. But guys, anyways, what have we been going through on Sunday mornings? You can tell me. Anybody? What have we been going through? The Gwinnon? Everyone, Hall of Faith. And we hope that you guys are getting the idea that these guys that we're going to learn from and study from, they're just all pointing to Jesus. They're just like big signs saying, Jesus, this way. Like, look to Jesus. He's this way. Um, that's all that they're doing. And so we hope that's what you're getting the idea from. Um, they're great examples to learn from. But they're all ultimately pointing to Jesus. So this morning, we get to look at the life of David. And I'm super excited about it. Um, I'm going to give you, like, kind of a high-level picture of his life for just a couple minutes. And then we're going to dive into the story of David and Goliath which I bet a lot of you are familiar with. Who, uh, raise your hand if you, yep. Yep, a lot of us are familiar with it. So that's what we're going to do. So did you all know David is one of the most well-known people in the Bible? Like even if you weren't a Christian, had to open the Bible, you've probably heard of David. In fact, more verses in the Bible, uh, he has the most verses about him in the Bible than any other character in the Bible except Jesus. Fun fact. So he's a pretty well-known dude. When we first hear about David, like when you're going through the Bible, um, a man named Saul is king. And y'all, Saul is tall. He's handsome. He's strong. He's like what you picture when you picture a king, right? And he did have all that going for him, but he was not a great king or a great man, really. You can kind of sum it up by saying Saul really thought he knew better than everybody else, including God. Um, he always thought he was right. So because of this, he does what he thinks is right in his own mind, makes some mistakes. And guys, he never really owns up to them. And uh, he blames people for his own mess ups. Do y'all know people like this? Um, he also really cared what people thought about him. And so when he made these mistakes and it caught up to him, he didn't like that it like ruined his reputation. So when we hear about him, when we read about him, we're quick to like be critical or judge him, but really 
if we're honest, we're a lot more like him than we realize or um, care to admit. So the whole point in seeing his failures is to warn us, hey, not a good path. Let's not repeat those same mistakes. So King Saul making mistake after mistake, and God sent a man named Samuel, the same Samuel Will talked about last week, to say, hey, Saul, you're not obeying God. You're not doing what he asked of you. So guess what? God is already choosing the next person to be king and replace you, Um, which obviously Saul didn't love that. Um, But Samuel also got the, um, God also gave Samuel the job of choosing who the next king is going to be. And God tells Samuel, it's going to be from the house of David. So go there, and I'm going to show you who it's going to be. So Samuel goes to David's house, and David is the youngest of eight brothers. So he has seven older brothers. And uh, David was a shepherd. And you remember Saul, tall, handsome, attractive, good leader, all those things. David was the opposite. He didn't have the height. He didn't have the muscles. He was a shepherd. That was what, and that was the lowliest of jobs in his time. So Samuel goes to David's house, and Samuel tells David's dad, hey, gather all your sons, because one of them is going to be the next king of Israel. So guess what? He gathers the first seven, but leaves David to tend the sheep. And one by one, Samuel goes, nope, not him. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. Seven times. And then Samuel goes to David's dad, do you have any more sons? Like, God told me it's going to be one of them, but, like, it's not. And he goes, well, I do have one. But he's, like, out in the pasture tending to the sheep. Samuel says, get him here. So David comes, and you guessed it. God says, yes, David is the next king of Israel. But, um, as you know, you have to, the current king has to die before you, like, become king. So David knew he was going to be king, but he wasn't king yet. Um, And, guys, from... From human standards, you would not have chosen David as king. He wasn't the tall, muscular, attractive man like Saul. But what we see, I'm going to put a verse up here. You might have read this verse before, but this comes from 1 Samuel 16:7, um, and it says this. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. So we already see here that David has a heart that is following after God. In fact, Samuel says that David, he calls David a man after God's own heart. Have y'all heard that before? And how the Bible defines that is that that means that David does whatever God asks of him. Y'all, wouldn't that be cool if God was like, man, she did everything I asked of her. Man, he did everything I asked of him. And that was, um, that's how God described David. Um, when the Lord chose David as the next king, he was actually between 12 and 15. Who's in that range out here? If you're between 12 and 15, raise your hand. Yeah. 
majority of you. So guys, you're never too young. You're never too young to be a man or woman after God's own heart is what I think of that. So eventually Saul dies and David becomes king when he is 30 years old. Okay, so we got a little bit of time gap there. And a few things happen in between that time where he's, like, he knows he's going to be the king, but he's not king yet, and there's, like, a 15-year gap. One of the biggest things that happens in that time frame is David and Goliath that we're going to go to into depth into in a second. But, and I imagine a bunch of you know that story, right? David kills a nine-foot-tall giant with a stone and a slingshot. No sword, no armor. It's super awesome, and we're going to talk about it. But after David kills Goliath, um, Saul gets very, very jealous of David. And look what this comes from, 1 Samuel 18. And the people sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed to David from that day on. So, basically this is saying, Saul, you're like second place. David's first place. He's killed ten thousand people. And Saul, you're second place. Saul does not like that. He gets jealous, and it turns into him literally trying to kill David multiple times. So many times that David goes on the run and flees just so he doesn't get killed by Saul. And uh, while David was on the run, this just shows like how um, David's heart is just really, his character is awesome. While he was on the run, God actually gives him opportunities to kill Saul. And he says, no, he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. And when Saul dies, David actually grieves his loss. So we see that David doesn't force his way to the throne, right? If he could have, he could have killed Saul and been king right there. But he said, no, I'm going to trust the Lord's timing. And when the Lord says I'm king, then that's the right time for me to be king. So, but even though David was a man after God's own heart and all of this, he was human and he was sinful, um, and when he was king at one point, so he's in his 30s, he sees a pretty girl who's married. And guess what? He has a, a relationship with her. And you know what he does? So her husband doesn't find out. He sends her husband, who is one of his soldiers, by the way, so one of his buddies, to the front of the battle line so that he would get killed so he wouldn't find out. Yeah. Y'all, he's a murderer and an adulterer. And, but the difference between David and Saul is David's response when he does sin. And he asks for the Lord's forgiveness and he repents. And we have Psalm 51 that was written right after this happened to David. Um, I'm just going to read part of it for time's sake. But um, this is what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. So 
And then I love verse 7. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So he acknowledges, hey, I need a Savior. I messed up. I need a Savior. We don't ever see Saul do that. So that's an automatic automatic difference um, between them. Okay, guys. Y'all tracking with me? Yeah, making sense? We're tracking? Okay. Let's hop into the story of David and Goliath for our last um, few minutes. So I'm sure a bunch of you know this story, but we're about to dive into it. So the story of David and Goliath opens, and you have God's people, the Israelites, on one mountain over here, the Philistines on this mountain over here, and a big valley in between them. Okay, are you picturing this? You have the mental picture in your head. And what you like, expect to happen is a big battle to break out. Like that's what you anticipate. That's not what happens. And I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 17 what does happen. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out with the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was nine feet, six inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of armor weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Okay, I have a picture of Goliath. Boom, there it is. Okay, guys, just picture this. So you anticipate a battle coming out, and, but that's not what happens. Instead, this man named Goliath comes out, and he says, we don't need to do this whole battle thing. Just send one representative from your army to fight me, and I'll be the representative for the Philistines. And we'll, it is like ultimate fighting champion, duel, fight to the death, winner takes all sort of situation. Okay, and, but Goliath is not a normal man, as we know. He was a giant, nine, guys, nine feet, six inches tall. That's like, you could almost double me. You could probably double some of you, right? That's insane. Nine feet, six inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and he had bronze armor. Just his armor weighed 125 pounds. Just his armor. That's it. And then he had his own personal person to hold his sword or his shield. Can we say worst job ever? (laughs) Can you imagine if your job was to hold the um, shield for Goliath? Um, But so, and the whole point of going into all the detail of his armor and his um, height and strength is because 
Goliath was the clear winner in this matchup, right? ESPN would have favored Goliath. Um, he was the clear victor, the clear winner, and that was because all this bronze on him, did you hear bronze being said like four times? All this bronze was like the tip top, top of the market equipment for military in this day, right? So David has, or Goliath has the best equipment, the best armor, the best sword. The guy is incredibly strong. I mean, can you just imagine the biceps on this guy? Just think about it. Be insane. So he's incredibly strong. He's been trained his whole life on how to fight, right? So the clear, the whole point is he is the clear, clear champion. Okay, so we're going to skip down a few verses, but what we learn is that um, David's three older brothers are fighting in the army against the Philistines, but David's not. He's back home. He's tending his sheep, and uh, like a faithful shepherd would, um, but his dad sends him to the battlefront with some food um, for his brothers and says, hey, give your brothers this care package and this food. Check on them. Report back to me. See how they're doing. Okay? So David does that faithfully. So he's on the battle scene now. And we hop down a couple verses, and this is what it says. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. As David was talking with his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. The king will give him great wealth. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Okay, so for 40 days, a month and a half basically, every morning and every night, Goliath comes out and he mocks Israel and his God. So 80 times. He's done that 80 times. And Israel has done nothing about it. Nothing about it. To the point, King Saul has now offered this huge reward for whoever is going to fight Goliath. He says um, he's going to give them a lot of money that they would get to marry one of his daughters. So a.k.a. marry into royalty. Right? So he's going to become the king's son, and all of the privileges that that comes with. And they don't have to pay taxes. Ask your parents, that's a pretty big deal. So, huge reward on the line. And y'all notice Saul's lack of leadership right here? Remember how I said Saul was the tall one, the attractive one, the warrior? He should be the one out there fighting right? And plus, he's like the leader. So, of course, he should step up if his people are in trouble, right? Like, if, if something happened in your school, your principal would step up and do something about it. She wouldn't make one of your teachers do it, right? That's what we're seeing here is Saul says, I'm too afraid. So, you already see Saul's um, leadership 
problems already right here. And I mean, that's a pretty sweet deal of that reward. But uh, as we see, the Israelite army, they are terrified. They run away. David has a very different response. Um, and so we're going to skip down a few more verses. Um, and so David asks the question, who is this guy that he gets to defy the living God? That was his question. And that question is so bold that it gets passed around the whole army. And people are talking about who is this David? And why is he going to go up against Goliath? Well, so King Saul hears of this. So King Saul calls David um, to have a conversation. And this is what happens. He says, this is in verse 32. He says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since he was a boy. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. So David says, I'll go, send me. For 40 days, they've been looking for someone. David says, I'm it, I'll go. Saul says, you're crazy. I mean, David has no military training, not strong, all the things we've already talked about. But David's response is, well, when I care for sheep, I fight off lions and bears. So I'm going to do the same thing. And more importantly, it's the Lord who does those things for me, and he's going to do the same thing right now. So Saul was desperate, and that is the only reason why he allowed David to go fight. That's the only reason that makes sense. Um, so Saul says, okay, he was desperate enough to let David try. Okay, let's keep going. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Okay, so Saul gives David his armor. David says, uh-uh, no thanks. Um, grabs five stones and his slingshot, which, by the way, I learned this. His slingshot was like two leather straps with a place to hold the rock, and you would go like this. So I thought that was cool. I didn't know that until a couple days ago. But, okay, let's keep going. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, worst job ever, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
This is, if you're not listening at all, listen to this right here. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give me into our, give you into our hands. Okay, so Goliath sees David, views it as an insult. They would even send David to fight because he's literally like, seriously, thoughts who you're going to send. Um, he gets mad about it. Okay, the verses we've all been waiting for. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, and he cuts off his head. Uh, And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran, and the men of Israel ran forward, but they shout and pursued them. Okay. What a story, guys. And it really happened. Like, that was, like, legit. That happened. But I have three quick points for us today. Okay, here they are. One, why the Israelites did not have courage. Two, the source of David's courage. And three, what David and Goliath is not about. Okay. Why the Israelites did not have courage. Okay. The answer might seem obvious. You're like, duh, Maggie, they're standing in front of a strong, incredibly strong, incredibly tall giant. Why would they not be afraid? Um, And no one in the Israel army could even compete with that. That's why no one had come before. Um, so to them, this fight looked like a suicide mission. It was like, why would I even go about this? Um, however, I would say the real reason the Israel army did not have courage is because they forgot who their God was and how big he is. I'm going to say that again. The real reason the Israelite army didn't have courage is because they forgot who their God was and how big he is. Guys, to them, Goliath looked bigger than God. They were more focused on the size of their problem than on the size of God. We serve a God. He is so big. He speaks things and they come into existence. Guys, he, we, speak, we serve a God so big. He's planned out every day of your life, every little detail of your life until you die. He's that big. He is that big. So... I would say the things that we worry about are not that big for God. When we see a giant, it's not a giant to our God because God is that big. And he even says he is, it's God's giant in the first place. It's not even ours to fight. Um, one of my favorite verses in Exodus says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So when we're in a battle... 
the battle belongs to the Lord, and we fight on our knees and surrender. That is how we fight against battles that we face. Um, operating in the world of logic, guys, they should have been terrified. They should have been so terrified. Um, a giant that tall and strong and powerful and well-trained is scary. But if they're operating in the world of God, they shouldn't have been afraid. Their response should have been, well, wow, my God is so much bigger than a giant. Why would I even need to be afraid? My common sense tells me I should be afraid, but the Bible says I don't have anything to fear. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so that's point one. Point two, we're going to breeze through these. Um, so David's source of courage was that he knew God was trustworthy. He always, that God always kept his promises and that God was powerful. And he looked back over his life and he remembered times where he, got, he needed God to intervene and God did. And he said, God's going to do it again. So I put verses 34 through 36 on the screen. But that's when Saul sa or David says, you know, I, when I'm um, being a shepherd, doing my job, um, lions and bears come and I fight them off. And it's the Lord who delivers me from them. And I believe he's going to do that again with this Philistine. So I love how he says I needed to be rescued. I was in a situation and God needed to rescue me. And he did. So that's the source of David's courage. I would also say that you have to look at why David got in the battle in the first place. And he says this. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David is angry that this Philistine is insulting and making fun of his God. He says, I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And I know, more importantly, I know God doesn't like it. And so he, that's when he steps up and he puts an end to it. And he says, God, use me if you want to. But I know I'm not going to stand for this evil that's happening. So the challenge for us is, are there places, schools, um, band practice, dance, cheer, after school activities, where you need to shut down evil that's happening? That's like the challenge for us. Okay. Guys. We're going to breeze through this last one in like one minute, okay? What David and Goliath is not about. Guys, we are not the hero of the story. I know that's a shocker. We think, oh, I'm David. I just need to have enough strength and enough courage, and I can fight any Goliath in my midst. But guess what? David does everything he can to say, I'm not the hero. That I am not the hero of this story. The Lord is. So I put the verses up every time he says, it's the Lord who rescued me. It, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The Lord. The battle is the Lord's. It, the Lord does not save by sword or spear. He will, he will give you into our hands. So David knew exactly who the hero of the story was going to be. Yet so many times we miss it and we think it's us. Um, and it's not. 
the hero is the Lord. And now, okay, I just said that David's our hero, but he is a good example for us to follow. That's why he's in the hall of faith. He is a great example for us to follow. Um, But the hall of faith does not end by let's follow after David. Kenna's going to talk about these verses in a couple weeks, so I'm just going to tear up. But this is what it says. Hebrews 12 says this. It, um, it says, let us not fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Or let us fix our eyes on, here it is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, a.k.a. everybody that we've studied this semester, right? Run with endurance the race God has set before you. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who perfects our faith. So in other words, we don't look to David. He's a great example, and it should strengthen and encourage our faith. But really, we look to God as we run the race that is life. So, and guys, I think this is a cool illustration. We're going to close with this, but... Uh, we have a giant much bigger than Goliath, and that giant is sin. We talk about sin a lot, but not really what it is. So if you're like, I don't even really know what sin is, please come find me. Um, but in this whole story points to when Jesus slays that giant once and for all on the cross. The Philistine army comes back. Israel has to fight them again. But Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross again. He fought that fight once and for all. All right, guys. I'm going to pray, and then you are dismissed, okay? God, thank you for being a good God who fights for us. Um, Lord, if anyone in this room doesn't know that you are good, um, would you reveal yourself as good to them even today? Um, Father, thank you just for the truth and that you have slain sin once and for all. And we get to live in the victory of that. Father, I just thank you for the gift that is being able to worship and talk about your name. Um, Father, we love you. You're in my prayer. Amen.